so I wonder as we've been going through these, this gospel series, we've been looking at each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it keeps occurring to me uh, what, what it would have been like, to ask myself, what it would have been like to walk with Jesus? Because these gospel writers, especially the apostles, when, we, when we're looking at this, so Matthew and John, uh, both being those who were in uh, Jesus' inner circle, those 12. Mark was probably around somewhere, but he wasn't named as one of the 12 disciples. And, and it would have just been quite something just to think about their life because they spent those very intense couple of years with Jesus in his ministry. But then what happened next? After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, then they just went out and they shared the good news, which sounds like a great thing, but they, they went through decades of ministry after Jesus ascended into heaven. And they suffered for the message of the gospel. And as the years went by, and as Jesus didn't return, because they really did think Jesus was going, when he said he's going to return, they thought that meant like in a couple of weeks or maybe a year or whatever. Uh, but as his return delayed they must have started to realize, hey, us eyewitnesses, those who walked with him, are not going to be around forever. And probably that's where we get these gospel accounts. They, they stopped just telling each other the story. They wanted to write the story down to make sure that the teachings of Jesus were preserved. And if you, um, okay, this is, I, I don't tell people to watch shows a lot, but I'm telling you, if you haven't seen The Chosen yet, it is time. It is time for you. And some of you said, I tried it and I didn't like it. And you know who you are. And I'm making fun of you on purpose. You need to just try it again, okay? I sometimes will say things like, I guess it's not for everybody. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Okay. Maybe not little children. I don't know. But, um, but I do. I love The Chosen. I love The Chosen. Just finished watching season three. And I, um, in this series, uh, they have done a beautiful job of, of uh, it's, it's intentionally from the perspective of those who were following him, the chosen, those who Jesus chose. And uh, the chosen does a really good job, I think, a really interesting job of uh, dramatizing what this, what I was just talking about, what it might have been like for the Apostle John. And as you watch the opening of season two, this is a spoiler, but I don't care. You should have already been finished season two already, okay? Season three is finished. You realize that uh, when you, you see the opening scene, you don't really know what's going on, but you see that the disciples who you recognize from season one, and they're graying. So you kind of get like time has passed, some, some time has passed. And they are observing Shiva. Now, this was the joke because it's actually in the Jewish culture. I'm going to say it super slow. It's called sitting Shiva. And Ruthie thought it would not be a great idea for me to just say that quickly in my message because I would probably make a mistake, like what you guys thought happened on Christmas Eve, if you remember that. So this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what it's actually called. Uh, and they are having like what is a memorial. So in other words, in that culture, a memorial for who they call Big James, John's brother, one of the disciples. And John is using this opportunity, and this is not biblical, I'm just telling you, setting up the scene for you. John is using the opportunity to interview the other disciples who are there for the memorial uh, about the days when Jesus was with them to try to capture their memories. He refers uh, to Mary as his mother, and there's a, as a beautiful reference to what Jesus had said to John when he was on the cross to take care of Mary, and Mary should consider John to be her son. And so from that day on, you know, he, he calls her mother. 
And he, he seems to be struggling, as he probably would have in real life, uh, to know how to organize all of the notes, to know what to, 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 to grab onto, to remember where to start. And the story is... Uh, the story of Jesus he recognizes is so deep and so wide and so important for humanity and he wants to capture it. So I want you to watch this clip with me and let's get a kind of a maybe an imaginative picture of what this might have been like for the gospel writer John. I know Brad, that was me, sorry. Well, let's turn in your Bible to John chapter one. My disclaimer is that this is fiction. I don't know that that's what John was thinking when he wrote these words at the beginning of his gospel account. But it certainly gives some framing to what he was thinking about probably from the Old Testament. John 1, you can follow along in the version app under more and then events. Let's start at verse 1. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist, by the way, not John the author. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Isn't that so beautiful? I love that passage. I use that one a lot at Christmas for obvious reasons, too. Matthew and John both walked with Jesus. But their gospel accounts, though they were both disciples, are very different from one another. It's thought that Matthew's was written before John's, chronologically. And in fact, all of the other gospels were written before John's, probably, and had been circulating already by the time John wrote his account. And I wonder if that's maybe why those three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are so similar to one another, he, he knew that they were there. They had done the good work of recording the life and ministry of Jesus. And John knew he didn't have to do that. They kind of allude to that in the clip there. Uh, but that there was something else that needed to be said, something that had been missed or something that tied it all together, literally from the creation of the world. I don't know that. I'm speculating, but I, I, there's just John's gospel is so different than the other ones. I also believe that John's gospel is unique because his relationship with Jesus seems to have been unique. 
Peter, James, and John, James and John, who were brothers, who were called the sons of thunder, were repeatedly called apart from the other 12 by Jesus for specific things. But this gospel that we call John actually doesn't name John, other than John the Baptist we just read about there. Doesn't, he doesn't name himself in the gospel at all. Never one time is the apostle John named in this gospel. Other than the six times that there is a disciple referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Isn't that great? You go ahead and just put that like on your, e- your email signature. Tracy Dunham, the disciple who Jesus loved. Like he just understood that from Jesus. And obviously he wasn't the only disciple who Jesus loved, but there are implications there, of course, of some kind of special bond or friendship between them. Maybe he was Jesus' closest friend on earth. And that in itself gives this gospel a particular lens through which it was written. John definitely wrote in his own way. He definitely highlights things that the other gospels don't say much about or are underdeveloped in some way. And in fact, the fact that it was John, the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel is not really disputed by scholars. Sometimes there's disputes. And you can feel why when you read through the gospel of John, because in the narrative, you can tell that he was there. You could tell he was standing close by. He he describes how the fragrance of the perfume filled the room when that that, uh, alabaster jar was broken over the feet of Jesus. You had to be there to know how to describe that. He describes when, when Lazarus... Um, dies, how Jesus wept. There's the shortest verse in the Bible. A little Bible tribute for you today is found in John 11.35. I heard it. I heard it over there. There's, is that you, Julia? That's 10. Well, somebody said it over there. 10 points for whoever said it, okay? Describing the anguish of Jesus in that moment. Again, you'd have to be there. You can sense these kinds of things all through this gospel. But John, John didn't just compile a series of touchy-feely memories about his BFF that no one else had recorded yet. Not at all. He systematically and carefully recorded a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Yes, his best friend probably, but the one who had been sent in love by God to save us all. And by the way, do you know who wrote Revelation? Who wrote it down? Who Jesus gave the visions to in order for them to be written down and and distributed to the churches? Who? John, that's right. Ooh, you guys, good. You guys all want 10 points now. You can all have 10 points. That mean, If you're new to us, they mean nothing, but they make you feel better at the end of the day. He is recording a revelation of Jesus Christ who had been sent in love by God to save us all. And in fact, it's John, of course, who writes John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In fact, John says exactly what his purpose is, kind of near the end of his gospel in chapter 20. John says that there's a reason that he's writing these things down, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. You want to flip the slide for me? We can read this one together. Unless I forgot to put it in there, which is possible. Thank you. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's so fascinating to me about this is that he's saying, I want you to understand who Jesus is. And so he would be the one disciple who, of all of the disciples, would look maybe more closely at Jesus' humanity. This was his friend. He felt so loved by Jesus. There's just like Jesus fully human. But John writes his gospel for the opposite reason. He's not writing his gospel to say, look how human he is, though that's very much in there. He says, I knew him as a friend. I knew him. I walked with him. I saw all of the things that he did. And here's what I want you to know about him. He is the son of God. So it's so interesting that it's John that makes this, uh, this claim, and he works so hard to do it. And he very specifically records seven miracles of Jesus in his gospel. Maybe you've heard of that before, the seven miraculous signs. And like, he didn't record all of them. He just chose seven really specifically. He chose water into wine, healing the official son, healing at the Bethesda pool, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing the man born blind, and raising Lazarus from the dead. And famously, John also includes the uh, seven I am statements of Jesus. And so there's a reason that uh, he used seven and seven. Now, he didn't tell us this reason, but we know from scholarship that seven is such an important number in Scripture. When you see seven in Scripture, some, especially, again, in John, John's uh, writing of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, seven is all over the place. And so if you've studied Revelation, if you've studied the Scripture, seven means completion. Oh, guys, you were on fire today. I love that. Seven is, is like God's perfect number. It, it symbolizes completion or perfection. And so there's, it's no accident that there's seven miraculous signs and these incredible seven I am statements from Jesus that echo the way that God introduced himself to the Israelites in the burning bush to Moses. I am who I am. He says, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. So John joins his eyewitness account with penetrating insight into Jesus' identity and nature. And so if John had a headline, as we're doing headlines, uh, this good news, this gospel truth, John's headline would probably be something like, Jesus is God, the Son, come to rescue us. In case anyone thinks that Jesus was a div- just simply a divinely inspired man, this gospel gives an unrelenting argument to the contrary, that he really is God. And if anyone is, is reading this gospel and they're very comfortable with Jesus' divinity, that he could be uh, divine but not his humanity, John contends over and over that he truly is human. Both positions are embraced. John was telling us that Jesus is eternally divine and fully human, fully God and fully man. It's all over this account. And as one commentator would say it, John stood by the church in times of terrible persecution and conflict. When it seems that the church would be overwhelmed, John stood fast, holding to a courageous witness of Jesus. When internal struggles came, and they did, if you read John's letters to the churches, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you can see he's correcting some things that had come into the church. He was again the community's strength. He became known as the pastor theologian of Asia Minor, a spiritual giant. 
And then when the medieval scribes would copy this gospel, this one would be decorated with an eagle to indicate the heights attained in this gospel's thought. So I, I want to walk through those verses in, first, or in John chapter 1 again. I want to return there to this stunning introduction of John's gospel that sets the whole thing up. And here we find the identity of the Son of God, the nature of the world, and the possibilities for all of humanity. Of course, it says, in the beginning was the word. And it was alluded to in that clip we showed, but the word, uh, logos, meant something different to the Jews and to the Greeks, but it was powerful either way that you translated it. Because for the Jews, the word of God, logos, was uh, the word of God is always powerful and created. And so John is saying, if you want to see that powerful and creative uh, word of God in action, look at Jesus, because he is the logos or that word of God who has literally come among you, he's saying to the Jews, by using that word. In the beginning was the word. To the Greeks, who had spent centuries thinking about and writing about a cosmic power that made the world and kept it all in order, and they were searching for that and trying to figure that out and worshiping all kinds of gods to make sure they didn't miss anyone who they maybe, maybe was in charge of that and they needed to be worshiping. He says to them, no, Jesus is the logos, the word the cosmic power that keeps the world in order, that's Jesus. That word has come down to earth. The mind of God has become a person, so you can understand it like that. Logos meant different things to different people, but no matter what you were looking for, in this one introduction to this gospel, John says, everything that you are looking for, it's all found in Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, what God was, the Word was also. So therefore, Jesus is God. And that's what he's, he's essentially saying here. And in verse 3, he says, listen, without Jesus' agency, without his word, without his uh, creative power, God brought nothing into being. And so everything that was created was created through Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You can go ahead a slide. I know this is going to be a hard one. This is going to be a hard one. You're just going <laughs> to... I'll try to stick to my notes if I can, but I am not promising anything. Our media people do such a great job. It's just, you never know what's going to happen. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. See, this word shines light into every dark place. And darkness has no chance when it comes to looking at this light, the light being Jesus. It has no power. Darkness has no power. Uh, darkness cannot control the light. And this word, um, uh, this word overcome, it can also mean understood it. The darkness has not understood it or grasped it or comprehended the light because it's so entirely different than the darkness. It's so entirely different than the sinful, broken, fallen world. And Jesus is the opposite of that and shines light all around. He's entirely different to the world, John says. Then, of course, he talks about the, the John, John the Baptist coming as a forerunner to Christ and preparing people to receive the message of Christ and, and all of that, that he wasn't the light, he was witnessing to the light. 
But the true light uh, was coming. It was going to give light to everyone in the world. And then he says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Listen, he says, this light, this incredible light that's come around you can be shining all around you, and you can still miss it. It's like you can hear John saying, just don't miss it. Like he did all of this. This is all that he is. But you just, you, it can, you, can, you can literally miss it. Don't miss it. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Why does that matter? Listen, it matters because you are literally invited to be a part of God's forever family. You are made in the image of God. You, are all, you already bear the mark of your creator. But in Christ, there's even more, which is that you are invited to become a child of God, a son and daughter of God, a co-heir with Christ. You're invited into the forever family of God because this light came into the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's the word there. We're going to come back to that full of grace and truth because it happens again really importantly. But when it says that Jesus made his dwelling among us, there is this um, picture of what it was like in the Old Testament when they had the tabernacle set up, the Israelites did as they were going through the desert. All of these elaborate instructions. How many of you are reading through the Bible in a year? We just went through all of that in the Old Testament. The elaborate instructions for setting up the tabernacle. Why? Because that was where the glory of God, the presence of God would dwell. And in, in the daytime, the, the pillar of cloud would be there. In the nighttime, the pillar of fire would be there. And when the pillar of fire or cloud moved, then they moved. And they followed it. They followed the presence of God. And everywhere they went, they, they, um, they camped literally around. There was instructions for them to camp around the tabernacle where the presence of God was. And this is what he's saying in this passage. He's saying that... that Jesus literally came to dwell among us. And the word means to tabernacle among us. That his glory, that the same kind of glory of God that was in the middle of the Israelites is there now, Jesus, in, in the form of Jesus coming and living among us. Emmanuel, God with us, is happening here. A visible manifestation of God's presence. But like John says, not everybody saw it. And not everyone received it. He says again, we have received grace in a place, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there it is again, grace and truth. Grace. Translated from the Old Testament, that is like, like the book of Ruth is all about the hesed of God, which means like the loving kindness of God. It's translated here into, into Greek and then, of course, for us into English as grace. But that loving kindness of God and his faithfulness. See, the word truth here has a root meaning reliable. God is reliable in words and actions. So in other words, you can trust Jesus, this one who is full of grace and truth, because his truth comes from a heart of love and faithfulness. This is who Jesus is. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. 
God has broken the barrier to make it, uh, that, that used to make it impossible for human beings to see him. But then Jesus came and said, listen, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We can literally know God. And so what John does here is he opens with these remarkable 18 verses and then he proceeds with his gospel account to show exactly what that looks like in real life, what it meant for the the light to come, what it meant for him to uh, set up tabernacle, to to dwell among his people and what it was going to mean for us. He tells us the rest of the story from here. And then John ends his gospel. I thought you might enjoy this. If you have a Bible with you, just flip to um, chapter 21. He ends this account by saying, I like that in this, the chosen, it was Mary who said it. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. No, I'm sure it wasn't Mary. I'm sure John thought of that himself. That's fine. Good for you, John. As the Spirit inspired him. Did you hear it in there? We have the identity of the Son of God in these verses. The powerful, creative word. Light, life, grace, truth. All descriptions of Jesus. We see the nature of the world. That it was made by the powerful word of God who is Jesus but that that same creation can reject its creator. And then, of course, the possibilities for humanity. That we can, in this, in the coming of Christ, in the light coming into the, this world that he created, become a part of the family of God if we receive him and believe he is who he said he was. Knowing God means knowing him in grace and truth. You might feel far from God, my friend. I don't know how you've come into this place this morning. But God has made himself known. And that's the message of this gospel. I mean, it's the message of all of them, but I just really sense it in this one. There's a call here from the Apostle John to look into the face of Jesus. To read his account and to really see him, who he is. Maybe you feel like in some part in your life, and I'm not saying you don't believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm talking to all of you, whether you are, have made a decision to follow Jesus or not. In some ways, you've been maybe shielding your eyes from the light, turning your face away, shielding your face from him. But the call for us in the scripture is, he is the light that the, the darkness can't overcome and it can't comprehend And this light is available to you right now to shine into every dark place in your life. He is, this this light brings life to you and all you have to do is receive it. And so that's what I wanted to share with you as we are stepping now into Holy Week this week. Holy Week, the, the week, of course, leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, I I, want to pause on this. We've done so much of this already this morning, which has been beautiful, worshiping the king. Last week in our testimony time, one one of the people who shared made this comment, I want to know the God I have been worshiping. 
And I wonder if you do. I wonder if you do know him. Do you know him? Do you know the God you've been worshiping? And did you know that it doesn't have to be just the thing that you do on Sunday? Did you know that even if you, um, even if you do know him, that there are depths of him to explore that never end? Do you know that if you have no idea who Jesus is, that, that there's an invitation for you to get to know him today? Do you know and are you getting to know this God that you've been worshiping? Maybe learning about all your life, maybe going to church, maybe coming here. Do you know this God? Because he's the one, Jesus, the light of the world, the one that we are going to be staring at all week long as we walk through the Passion Week or the Holy Week and remember what he did for us. There is no better chance in the whole Christian calendar, in the whole yearly calendar in the church, there's no better chance for you to get to know this Jesus in another way. I've been a Christian my whole life, certainly been through stages and phases, times that I've learned and grown and, and really made my faith my own in different ways. But I pray every single Easter season, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to I receive something from, in, in knowing you, in, in growing in the knowledge of God, uh, growing in my understanding of your, of your sacrifice for me this year. I want to receive that. Could we pray that together this morning? That we would know the God we are worshiping deeper and deeper. Team, could you come and just give us a minute to reflect on that as you lead us? Let's take a moment and reflect and invite the Lord to do something in us this Passion Week, this Holy Week, that's new and refreshing, that Jesus would reveal himself to us. The revelation of Jesus Christ would become more deep. Our roots would grow deeper and deeper. Let's ask him to speak to us. Let's ask him to give us an opportunity to share about who he is that there would be acts of worship in every day that would draw us deep, more deeply into him. Let's stand together. Let's commit that to the Lord and then uh, let's worship him for a moment. Let that sink into our hearts. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we walk into this week, that as we are kind of staring down the, the Holy Week, the Passion Week, and we consider the passion, the suffering that you went through for us, that starts, that's really started today and, and yet was a, a much longer journey, of course. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do a deep work in us this season. Give us a revelation of Jesus. Teach us who he is. Remind us of his teaching, something that uh, we, we need our, to be changed or, or moved or or broken, or whatever it is in our life, something that, that we need to hear again or maybe for the first time from the Lord about him or in, in something that he shared, that we can obey his commands in a, in a new way. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, come. Deepen our understanding of Jesus. We know that you were sent to do just that for us. Jesus, we want to know the God we've been worshiping. 
Some of us for the first time, some of us from a place of, of a real distance, and some of us who are, are fully committed, but still we need to go deeper. We need even more from you. We need to know you. We, just, we need to know you. Take us deeper, Lord. Show us your face. Reveal who you are. And we invite you to do this work in us. In your name.